While the media insists that the right is to blame for politicizing this pandemic, they continue to insist that those pushing for reopening are inherently deplorable. President Trump moves to cut off green cards and Bill de Blasio finds out that criminals commit crimes. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. My savvy fans secure their internet. Join them at expressvpn.com. Slash ben. Now, I do want to take a moment to give a shout out to all our advertising partners who help make this show possible. We are super grateful for our advertising partners, particularly at this time. They help keep our show going. And we certainly appreciate my listeners going out and working with the sponsors. We're all great. I wouldn't be testifying for them. Otherwise, I think they are terrific. We're all trying to get through this together and they offer some great services. So if you can afford to shop right now, if you got money and if you like any of their services, please continue to patronize our advertising partners. They keep the show going. They help us bring in enough money to keep our employees employed. I know that uh, everybody is having a tough time right now financially, uh, and I I really appreciate both your listenership and the fact that you patronize our our advertising partners. I know they really appreciate it as well. Also, worth noting, have you noticed that the, the market is a little bit volatile right now? And when I say a little bit volatile, I mean insane. Did you see that the price of oil actually went negative yesterday? So apparently, if you drove over to the gas station, they were just handing out checks or something. I mean, I guess that's how this works now. Well, maybe now might be a good time to think about diversifying into something that never loses its value. I'm talking about precious metals. Over 22 million people have now lost their jobs from the economic fallout of coronavirus, even with the stock market having had a slight recovery. Nobody knows what the long-term impact of this thing is going to be, how long it's going to take to recovery. This is going to look more like a U-shaped curve than like a V-shaped curve in all probability, simply because human behavior has changed. You might want to think about diversifying into precious metals, and you know what I'm going to say. Talk to my friends over at Birch Gold to do that. Call Birch Gold right now. Convert your traditional IRA or 401k into a precious metals IRA. If you're interested in doing something like that, I'm not saying take all your money and stuff it into gold. I'm saying that you should take some of your money and probably put it into precious metals as a diversification tactic. Before May 31st, with a qualifying purchase, Birch Gold will give you a free emergency kit. This backpack is absolutely loaded with things you can't buy right now. Safeguard your savings with Birch Gold. They'll help safeguard your family like they did mine. There's no obligation. You have nothing to lose to take that first step. Birch Gold Group has thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Don't wait until the market drops more to protect your hard-earned savings and get your free emergency kit. Text Ben to 474747. Diversify today. Text Ben to 474747 to get the process started and ask all your questions and then get your answers from people that I trust. Okay, so this pandemic is becoming more and more political. This is perfectly expected. People simply cannot avoid the politicization of major issues. And as we'll see, this politicization, in my opinion, is starting from the left. It is happening in the media. It is happening from people who desire to use this crisis as an opportunity to push their political priors. Now, here's the thing. If you're conservative, your political priors are not being pushed right now. I mean, truly, they're not being pushed right now. There are certain natural things that are happening, like decoupling from China. That's just a natural reaction to what's going on. How could you not decouple from a country that's been lying ad infinitum for years, and now their lies caused a global pandemic and a worldwide economic meltdown? Right? That decoupling is just a natural consequence of the fact that China is an authoritarian garbage state. Okay, so that, that's sort of a natural thing. That's not a political thing. Do you think conservatives are super happy about the lockdown policies? I don't think so. But a lot of conservatives were saying, OK, well, you know, if we got a lockdown for the moment so that we can get this thing under control and not overwhelm our healthcare system, then let's go ahead and do that. You think that confirmed political priors for conservatives? I don't think so. But I'm seeing a lot of folks on the left whose political priors are being confirmed. And you can really tell this when the president takes action that should be pretty obvious and suddenly it's wildly controversial. So last night, 
President Trump tweeted out, in light of the attack from our invisible enemy, and he's talking here about coronavirus, of course, as well as the need to protect the jobs of our great American citizens, I will be signing an executive order to temporarily suspend immigration into the United States. And this has made people absolutely crazy. How could Trump suspend immigration into the United States? First, practically speaking, immigration is suspended. Courts are not processing green cards and visas right now. If you're looking for a travel visa, now would not be the time to do it. European countries have been shutting down travel inside Europe. Right, the so-called Schengen zone, which was an area of free travel, has basically been shut down right now. Countries are shutting their borders to each other inside the EU. Singapore is seeing travelers come back, people who had visas come back to Singapore and spiking a second wave of infections in Singapore right now. Okay, and so why would we not be suspending immigration right now? On a practical level, the executive order, we'll see how it's worded, but it probably isn't actually going to do very much. Also, does the president have a point that we don't actually need a huge base of more labor coming into the country right now? I mean, yeah, I mean, we have a surplus of labor right now. It's, you're, you're not going to have the, the, the wages artificially lowered by having more immigrants come into the country right now because there are just too many people out of work. You have 22, 30 million people out of work right now. So you got the health issue. You've got the economic issue. You always have concerns about immigration. And, and, and the concerns about immigration, to begin with, were always about what our immigration policy should look like. On the one side, you had people who were sort of suggesting that people have a right to immigrate to the United States, which of course is silly and not true. On the other side, you had people who said, if you want to immigrate to the United States, you have to show how you are going to be a net benefit to the United States. And that's why Trump has even said that migrant workers who constitute a heavy share of labor in places like California will continue to be allowed into the United States, even under this executive order. So the media are covering this as though this is just Trump confirming his political priors that he doesn't like immigration. But the fact is, just because it confirms his political priors doesn't necessarily mean that he is wrong in this particular case. And I find it very bizarre that the same Democratic Party, which has now flipped on whether we should have banned travel from China in January. Right? Remember a couple of weeks ago, Joe Biden flipped his position on this thing. Now they're, they're playing exactly the same game with Trump. Right? Trump says, OK, we're going to have to shut our borders for a bit. And the Democrats are like, no, that's bad. How could you do that sort of thing? Very terrible. Very, very terrible. Hey, on any sort of rational level, I don't think a lot of Americans are looking forward to taking in millions of people who are not properly vetted, who have not been checked for health, and presumably who are going to increase the labor base at a time when you don't. Uh, it's one thing to increase the labor base when you have more openings than people willing to fill them. It is another thing to increase the labor base at a time when you have 30 million people out of work. According to The New York Times, in recent weeks, the Trump administration has said health concerns justified moving swiftly to bar asylum seekers and undocumented immigrants from entering the country. Alarming immigration advocates who have said that Trump and his advisors were using a global pandemic to further hardline immigration policies. Well, if you're an undocumented immigrant, you know, it's kind of hard to do. Vet your health background. Now, of course, we should be not allowing people to cross the border illegally right now. Are you kidding? There's a good case we shouldn't be allowed. I mean, people were crossing the border legally and they infected the American population to the tune of a minimum of 800, 700,000 infections to date, right? And those are just the infections that we know about. The actual number of infections is probably 10 times that. The president's late night announcement on Monday signals his most wide ranging attempt yet to seal the country off from the rest of the world as though everybody else is not doing this. Everyone is doing this. Like look at other countries. They're sealing off their own borders. Everyone right now, Israel shut down its borders. South Korea shut down its borders. Countries have shut down their borders. Why? Because you're an idiot not to shut down your borders right now. Like Florida tried to shut its borders to New Yorkers. What are we even talking about? Like, why is this controversial? Because again, political priors matter more than actual policy considerations. And it's because Americans are starting to see political priors take the place of considered policy ramifications that they are becoming very skeptical of the left-wing view that we have to lock down forever and, and 
for all time, which seems to be one of the views, right? When people are saying we're going to lock down until there are 20 million tests available per day. Okay, well, when, when pigs fly, then I guess we can get out of lockdown. Sure, sure. And we'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that right now you really want to know what's going on on your property. I mean, you got your kids running around your property. You got people who are arriving on a daily basis and dropping off packages. It'd be good to know if they sneezed on the package right before they dropped it at your door. Well, this is why ring.com comes in super handy, especially because some people like Bill de Blasio are letting criminals out of prison, like crime rates are going to go up. Ring gives you protection at every corner, helps you create custom, affordable security for your home. Ring detects motion when people come onto your property. Ring's video doorbells let you answer the door, check in on your home anytime from anywhere. Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. So if there's a package delivery or a surprise visitor, you'll get an alert and be able to see, hear, and speak to them all from your phone. Get peace of mind knowing that your loved ones are safe. The all-new Ring Video Doorbell 3. It's upgraded with additional security features and works on any home. You can see and speak with visitors with HD video and two-way talk. You can get notifications when your doorbell detects movement. You can adjust what areas you get motion alerts for so you only receive alerts that you actually care about. And they've got dual-band Wi-Fi bringing you more flexible and reliable connections. They are constantly upgrading the nature of these devices, and they are excellent. I mean, they really do help keep your property safe. I am very safety concerned, as you know, very safety conscious. And I've been using Ring on my own property for years, you should too. Got a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit. When you go to ring.com slash Ben, the Welcome Kit includes that Ring Video Doorbell 3 and Chime Pro. It's all you need to start building custom security for your home today. Just go to ring.com slash Ben. Again, that is ring.com slash Ben. All righty. So first, there's this controversy over the over the immigration shutdown. Workers who have for years received visas to perform specialized jobs in the United States would be denied permission to arrive, though some workers in industries deemed critical will be exempted from the ban, apparently. That will include healthcare workers. So people who are tweeting out stats as to how many immigrants are in the healthcare system, those people will still be allowed to come in and work. The number of visas issued to foreigners abroad looking to immigrate to the United States has already declined by about 25% in this fiscal year. It's set to decline still further. This should not be all that controversial. Nonetheless, it is massively controversial. The New York Times obviously is is ripping this thing up and down, suggesting that it is all basically a lie. Under an executive order, the Trump administration would no longer approve applications from foreigners to live and work in the U.S. for an undetermined period of time, effectively shutting down the legal immigration system in the same way the president has long advocated closing the borders to illegal immigration. So again, do, do I think that this is a violation of law? No, he's got pretty broad authority in this area. The president has pretty significant authority when it comes to borders and immigration. Beyond that, now is a good time to shut the borders. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation. Meanwhile, speaking of people who are confirming their political priors. So yesterday, oil futures completely dumped. I mean, down to negative $37.63. People were paying people to take barrels of oil off their hands. Why? Well, because there literally is no storage facility. The fact is that right now what we are watching is a collapse in demand. And this is one of the problems is when, when you talk about the recovery, one of the things that you have to look at is how much has the underlying demand curve actually changed because people's behavior has changed. So nobody's driving right now. The oil industry isn't tanking for financial reasons or systemic reasons. It is tanking because no one is driving and because businesses are not operating. And that means that nobody has any use for oil. So there's a glut of oil on the market and oil has an expiration date and it needs to be refined. And it's more expensive right now to refine it than it would be to just dump it at this point and do nothing with it. And so the futures contracts, which are going to take hold in May, on May 1st, basically the oil companies are betting that there will be no buyers for the oil and there will be a complete glut of oil. So this is obviously not great for the oil industry because if they can't make profit, then they're going to start shutting down the pumping. And what you're going to see is 
that these oil companies are not supremely flexible, that as the economy ramps back up, they're going to start pumping again, but slower. American fracking is actually a lot more flexible and is going to fill some of that gap, which is not a bad thing for American fracking. But when I say confirming political priors, let me show you a perfect example. So the oil prices dump in historic fashion, historic fashion, right? According to the New York Times, prices went negative, meaning that anyone trying to sell a barrel would have to pay a buyer 30 bucks in part because of the way oil is traded. Futures contracts that require buyers to take possession of oil in May are expiring on Tuesday. Nobody wants the oil because there's no place to store it. So AOC immediately tweets out a couple of absolutely asinine things because she is a moron. Okay, not going to sugarcoat this. Representative Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez has the IQ of a kumquat, maybe a low quad on the upper end. Okay, she, she really just, she, she is just an idiot. Okay, so she tweets out, you absolutely love to see it. This, along with record low interest rates, means it's the right time for a worker-led mass investment in green infrastructure to save our planet. Cough. Okay, so I'm not sure why, why, she is, why she's coughing. I mean, I, I hope that all is well with AOC's health. But first of all, to celebrate, you absolutely love to see the collapse of the oil industry that supports tens of thousands of American jobs. Really? That's good. So she deleted that one. But then she put up a new tweet, and her new tweet is just as stupid. She tweets, now is the time to create millions of good jobs, building out the infrastructure and clean energy necessary to save our planet for future generations, for our economy, our planet, and our future. We need a Green New Deal. I don't think she understands how prices work. She tweeted out, this snapshot is being acknowledged as a turning point in the climate movement. Fossil fuels are in long-term structural decline. This, along with low interest rates, means it's the right time to create millions of jobs transitioning to renewable and clean energy, a key opportunity. What in the actual F is she talking about? Oil, they're paying you to take oil. And she's like, this is a great time to invest in windmills. Great time to invest in windmills. Was she dropped on her head as a small child? I, I can't think of any other explanation. BU needs to get, uh, she should get a, re like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to advocate for AOC to get her college tuition waived from BU because she did not get her money's worth. And she was an econ double major at BU. And somehow she graduated with a degree. This does not speak well of Boston University. So if she's looking for a legal advocate for her free tuition at BU, she didn't get anything for her money. Okay, there was no consideration in that particular contract. When the price of oil is zero, that is a horrible time to invest in windmills and green energy. What the F are you talking about? This is sort of like saying, you know, did you see there's a glut of chocolate on the market? The price of chocolate is zero. Like it's, it's literally zero. You could walk into the supermarket right now and just pick up. They'll pay you to take bags of chocolate back to your house. Have you ever thought of a better time to buy kale? What? What are you? What? Like the whole point is now's a great time to fill up your car. Right now is a horrible time to invest in expensive alternative energies when the like, does she not understand the purpose of a carbon tax? Right. The purpose of a carbon tax is to artificially raise the price of oil, to artificially raise the price of filling your car so that it creates an economic incentive for you to instead invest in more expensive alternative energies, which, thanks to the raised price of oil, would now be lower in cost than the oil. But if the prices of oil drop, no one in the like, are you buying an energy efficient vehicle for more money when the cost of oil is zero? She, so she's a full-scale idiot. But again, this is confirmation bias at work, right? She, she is just confirming her priors. She's just confirming her priors. And when you see people confirming their, your priors, their priors, it does make you suspicious. It does make you suspicious that people are not being honest about broad-scale public policy. See, right now, if you want people to take life-altering measures, like staying at home, right? Like keeping their kids at home, no summer camps, no movies, no restaurants, no eating out, you want people to shelter in place. 
you're going to need a high level of trust. And that trust is going to have to be based on the idea that you are not doing this for an ulterior motive. Right? Th think about your daily life. There's so many things where you rely on people not having an ulterior motive. Right? So somebody says to you that you, you bring your car in, your car is broken, you bring it to an auto body shop, and they say, okay, well, we need to replace the transmission. And then you find out that they are being subsidized by the transmission company, and for every transmission they sell, they're getting a $200 kickback. Well, that's going to change your math on whether you actually need to replace the transmission, isn't it? Right? You're going to think to yourself, oh, this person has an ulterior motive. Maybe they're not being honest with me. In, in order for there to be any level of trust in the most broad-ranging and deep measures in American history, there is going to, I mean, in terms of civilian populations, there's going to have to be a high level of trust. That trust is being undermined each and every day by partisan actors who obviously are attempting to confirm their own priors rather than looking at the actual events on the ground. Okay, we're going to get to more of this in just one second. Plus, there's, there is some good news, right? There is some good news, and that is that there is some, again, more information, more and more information coming out that this thing is not nearly as deadly as we had previously supposed. That doesn't mean that it is that it is not deadly. It does not mean that it is not easily transmitted. But study after study after study is now showing that the actual infection fatality rate, meaning the number of people who are infected right, on the denominator, the number of people who are dead in the numerator, right, that, that that percentage is actually a lot lower than we've been led to believe. We're going to get to that in just one second. First, let us talk about the fact that now is a horrible time to go to the post office. Now, you may love the post office. Maybe it's a great place to be. Now is not a great time to schlep packages into a place where there are lots of people in a closed building, right? This is not a good idea. Instead, what you want to be doing is shipping those packages from home and doing it safely and easily. This is why you need stamps.com. Anything you can do at the post office, you can do at stamps.com. We've been using stamps.com here at The Daily Wire since 2017. We have saved innumerable gobs of money. You can print postage on demand, skip the lines and crowds at the post office. Plus, you can actually save some money with discounts you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service directly to your computer. So you can use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once that mail is ready, you just leave it for the mail carrier. You schedule a free package pickup. You drop it in the mailbox. No human contact required, which is exactly what you're looking for right now. You get five cents off every first class stamp up to 40% off U.S. Postal Service shipping rates. Now, in addition to offering discounted U.S. Postal rates, Stamps.com also is offering UPS services with discounts up to 62%. Plus, with Stamps.com, you won't even have to pay UPS residential surcharges. Stamps.com, it's a no-brainer, especially now. It saves you time, it saves you money, and it keeps you safe in these crazy times. Right now, my listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitment. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in Shapiro. Talk about a service you can use right now. This is it. Stamps.com, click on that mic at the top of the homepage, and type in Shapiro. So another piece of good news. I've been telling you about these studies, and this is like just the latest, right? Study after study after study showing that the actual number of people who are infected in society is far higher than the number of people who are dying, and that the case fatality rate, the infection fatality rate, is the total number of infected. Case fatality rate is the number of confirmed cases. So I've been using case fatality rate for weeks. Really should have been saying infection fatality rate to be a little more exact. Okay, the infection fatality rate is a lot lower than people have been saying. According to Hot Air, John Sexton writing, earlier this month, researchers from the University of Southern California Keck School of Medicine set up drive-through testing sites in six locations around LA County. The researchers used a proprietary database they say is representative of the entire county and gave people an antibody test. What they found is that far more people in LA County have had the virus than are aware of it. The research is unfinished. It hasn't yet been peer-reviewed. But LA County public health officials published the early results. They showed that around 4% of people in LA County already had the virus. 
Adjusting the estimate for statistical margin of error, that means anywhere from 2.8% to 5.6% of the county's adult population has antibodies to the virus. That translates to anywhere from 221,000 to 442,000 adults in LA County alone who have had the infection. The number of COVID-related deaths in the county has now surpassed 600. The press release doesn't do the math. What that actually means is that the death rate currently for coronavirus with a current death toll of 617 If you took 4.1% right in that mid-range, you're looking at a death rate of something like 0.2%, which is about twice the rate of the flu. So the the good news is that a lot of people may have had this with few, if any, symptoms. The bad news is that the LA County case rate is still only 5%, so we are not close to herd immunity. But it is also true that there is not really herd immunity to the flu. There's not herd immunity to the flu, but the, the... There have been several studies at this point. There's one from Wuhan, one from the Netherlands. I talked about it. One from Massachusetts, one from King County, Washington, one from the the hospital in New York. Uh, And and all of them are showing that the actual case fatality rate is a lot lower than has been shown, right? That it is anywhere from 0.2% to 0.6% on the upper end, probably. Okay, that, that, that is good news. I mean, that means this thing is a lot less deadly than previously supposed. And again, if you are young and you are healthy, the, the chances that you're going to die from this thing are exceedingly low which is why I've been suggesting that testing is really designed to do one thing and one thing only, prevent hotspots from flaring up. That's all testing can do. Okay, testing isn't going to prevent you from getting this thing. Testing isn't going to prevent you. It, it may delay you getting this thing over time. It may prevent a widespread pand- epidemic outbreak that overwhelms the healthcare system. But that's how we should be judging public policy right now. One of the things that I hate more than anything, and this is why I think the media coverage also is confirming political priors. A lot of the media coverage right now is just not accurate. A lot of the media coverage when it comes to flattening the curve suggested that the number of people who are going to be infected was going to be lowered overall by the flattening of the curve. That's not the idea of flattening the curve, you adults. The goal of flattening the curve was to prevent overload of the healthcare system. But the area under the curve is still the same. Either the curve looks like this, and I'm making a very high wave in the air and then very low after, or it looks like this, a flatter wave, but the maintenance level is higher at the end. Okay, the area under the curve is still the same. So you're still going to get infected. It just may be four months from now as opposed to right now so that you don't overwhelm the the healthcare system. The reason this matters is because when you're talking about testing, you have to be accurate about what exactly you are attempting to do. And there's been this idea out there. I spoke to Dr. Marty McCary from Johns Hopkins University yesterday on the show, right? He's advised both Trump and Obama. Okay, so he is not partisan. And Dr. McCary basically confirmed what I was saying, which is that testing is not designed to prevent everyone from getting this thing. It's designed to prevent there from being a major spike in an area because the testing capacity itself is not sufficient to stop one person from infecting a bunch of other people around them in the immediate basis. It is just enough to help contain it so that you can contact trace for some people. So that's what the testing is designed to do. If we're accurate about that, then we can be more accurate about what testing is actually designed to do, how much testing is necessary. And we can throw out these estimates that suggest that we're going to have to have 20 million tests a day in order so that people can go back to work. That's just a bunch of crap. It's not real. It's not true. And there's a reason that even Dr. Fauci has been suggesting it's more like 300,000 tests a day. Dr. Gottlieb has been suggesting that Scott Gottlieb from former FDA commissioner. It is not 20 million tests a day. And this is why you're starting to see states that are reopening businesses because these states are basically saying all we can do at this point is do what we can do, which means let responsible citizens be responsible. And that's not a bad thing, right? You just have to make sure that the policies that you are taking are indeed responsible, that they balance the risk and the reward of reopening and that you have enough systems in place so that you can hotspot and contact trace. Now, the hotspot and contact tracing, again, are not designed to prevent infection overall over the long haul. That's not what, that's not what they do. What they are designed to do is prevent the overwhelming of the healthcare system. So 
when you look at places that are opening up more, it is a foolish thing, a very foolish thing that the media are doing by focusing in on the near-term effects of removal of lockdowns. You saw this in their coverage of Sweden. I've been saying this for weeks. Sweden took a different strategy. Their strategy was more people will be infected in the near term and more people will die in the near term than they will in the Netherlands or than they will in, in Denmark, right? That was their policy. And their policy was the area under the curve will be the same, but we have not shut down our economy and people are going to continue to go out and they're going to be able to live their lives to a certain extent. Our economy will not take the same sort of hit as other economies will take, right? That was Sweden's policy. And people are like, oh, look at that. They have more deaths and more infections than Netherlands. Yeah, because in Netherlands, everybody's staying home. Right, Because if you lock down, of course, there's lower deaths and lower infections in the near term. But that's not how you gauge a policy. As I said yesterday, the person at the gym who's working, who's finally getting in shape and working off the weight and vomiting in the corner looks like a sucker to the guy sitting on the couch. But over the course of the next year, when that guy gets in gets in shape and the and the guy on the couch is struggling for breath, that didn't look like a sucker's play, did it? Okay, well, Sweden is basically saying we are trying to do the responsible thing while not destroying our economy. And people are like, well, in the near term, there are more. Inf yes, in the near term, there are more infections. Guess what? When we all go back to work, right? when we all go back to our offices, when kids go back to school, there will be more infections and there will be more deaths. And that does not mean that the counter narrative or that the, the counterfactual would have been better, that we stay in our houses for a long period of time, because eventually we're all going to come out unless somebody comes up with a miracle vaccine. Right? All we are doing is buying time and preventing the healthcare system from being overwhelmed. Those are the only things we can do. There are no drugs that cure this thing. There is no vaccine. So with those things in place, all we're going to really be able to do is minimize the number of people who are elderly and who have pre-existing conditions who are out there in public. And that's going to rely on personal responsibility and, yes, regulations about visiting nursing homes and such. And we are going to put in place some testing and contact tracing such that there aren't these massive spikes in areas that overwhelm the healthcare system. But, like, can we please be accurate about this? When people are being inaccurate, it makes me think that maybe they have that ulterior motive again, because I, I think there are a lot of ulterior motives running around. We'll get to that in just one second. Okay, so this has become a point of contention because you can see how people are being stupid about this in the media. You can see how they're covering Florida, how they're covering Georgia. So Florida beaches in Jacksonville, for example. In Jacksonville, they reopened their beaches. That doesn't mean that they were like, okay, everybody go out and party. It's spring break time, man, do it. No, what they said is social distance, walk six feet away from other people, wear a mask, and then if you want to go walk along the beach, go walk along the beach. And the media went nuts. Look at these pictures from Jacksonville where people are standing seven feet apart from each other. This is terrible. First of all, the amount of actual infection in outdoor areas where people are socially distancing is nil. Okay, it is very, very low. When you're seeing stories from places where there's a mass outbreak outdoors, it's because people were right on top of each other. It's because it was Cancun, spring break, actual real world, right? That, that, that's like MTV shows. Right, people, people making out on the beach and, and stooping each other, right? That, that's, that is close personal contact. But that's not what's happening in Jacksonville. So Dr. Deborah Burks yesterday, who's been as cautious on this as anybody in the White House, right, she says, Florida Beach is reopening. That's, that's called being responsible because they don't have a lot of cases out there and people are socially distancing. Florida's Department of Health website is extraordinary. And this is what every Department of Health should have. Because when you go to that website, you can see that most of the cases are in southern Florida, in the Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Broward County area. And if you look in Jacksonville, they had less than 20 cases per day and less than 800 in four weeks. And so these are the kinds, when you inform the public and give them the information that they need, then they can make decisions along with the local government and governors. What, you mean treating American citizens as though they're responsible actors in a republic? Wow, I know, it, it, just crazy, crazy stuff. How dare people do this sort of stuff? Okay, so the states that are also coming in 
for all sorts of criticism include South Carolina and Georgia. So according to the New York Times, South Carolina allowed retail shops ranging from department stores to flea markets to reopen on Monday afternoon, shortly after its governor, Henry McMaster, signed an executive order reversing some of the closings he ordered earlier this month. On Friday, residents of Georgia will be allowed to return to the gym and get haircuts, pedicures, massages, and tattoos. According to Governor Brian Kemp, next Monday, they can dine in restaurants and go to the movies. Tennessee's stay-at-home order will expire April 30th, allowing most businesses there to reopen on May 1st, according to Governor Bill Lee, the moves by three Republican governors of southern states to let some businesses reopen came as the outbreak continued to spread in parts of the nation and as some other governors and public health experts have warned in recent days that testing remained inadequate to quickly identify and contain new outbreaks. Massachusetts has been particularly hard hit recently. At the White House briefing on Monday evening, Dr. Deborah Burks, coronavirus response coordinator, noted we still have a significant number of cases in the Boston area and across Massachusetts and Chicago. President Trump outlined non-binding, gui- non-binding guidelines last week for states to ease the restrictions. South Carolina is moving to let its retail stores reopen Monday at 5 p.m., but they have to adhere to social distancing requirements. They have to operate at 20% occupancy or at five customers per 1,000 square feet, whichever is less. Okay, which, by the way, is the same policy that they are undertaking in Germany. Okay, opening shops and then telling people that the occupancy is now one, one-fifth, one-quarter of what it used to be. That's what they have been doing in Europe. Okay, so South Carolina's policy is no different from what Europe is doing. It also said businesses should not allow customers to congregate within six feet of one another. The state plans to reopen public beach access points, piers, docks, and wharves at noon on Tuesday, which again, makes sense. Just stay away from each other. This is called responsible citizens being responsible. In Georgia, Kemp said at a news conference, the state would allow the reopening of gyms, bowling alleys, and salons on Friday. He said his decisions would be the operational standard in all jurisdictions. He says local action cannot be taken that is more or less restrictive. He said that theaters, private social clubs, and dine-in restaurants would be allowed to open April 27th. Bars, nightclubs, live performance venues would remain closed. And you are seeing some businesses reopen as soon as next Monday in Tennessee. Now, the the Georgia order is broader than the South Carolina order. And this is the one that has come under the the most scrutiny. On on a personal level, I think that the, the riskiest sensors here are probably places like gyms. Bowling alleys seem pretty risky. I mean, you're literally sticking your hands on objects that other people are sticking their hands on. So the transmission of this thing on objects is is pretty high. But barbers are sort of a different thing. They are, they are, if everybody is wearing a mask and a barber is working on you, that's less risky. Hair designers, nail care artists, you know, all of those areas seem less dangerous. Again, people are acting as though Kemp said that you should just go out and, and party it up. This is not right. All of these areas are allowed to reopen only with specific social distancing guidelines and sanitation mandates, including enhanced workplace sanitation, the minimum basic operations. You have to do this if you want to reopen in Georgia. Screening workers for fever and respiratory illness. So they're doing fever checks. Enhancing workplace sanitation, wearing masks and gloves, separating workplaces by six feet, teleworking if possible, and staggered shifts. So again, the media are covering this thing as though he's basically saying, go out willy-nilly, enjoy yourself. That is not correct. This is not correct. So, and, and if you are still afraid, then you don't have to go out and do this. It will be interesting to see what happens in Georgia. It'll be interesting to see if the healthcare system is overwhelmed. So the only way that you're going to be able to judge whether Georgia is doing the right thing or the wrong thing is after time delayed. Now it's like Sweden, right? Was their healthcare system overwhelmed? If their healthcare system was not overwhelmed, well, then this is just what's called living in public. And also people should use their own best judgment. Okay, if you are elderly, you should stay indoors. If you are a and away from other people, if you have pre-existing conditions, you should not go out and party it up. Everybody should be acting responsibly with masks and social distancing. And the way the media are covering this thing is though Kemp did something that is completely evil. I, I, I again, don't see that at this point. 
is it, we'll only know if it's irresponsible if there is a spike and it is not detected by testing and contact tracing because that's the only thing that can be prevented. I'm only going to judge the activity of governors by the stuff they can prevent. Okay, well, and, and the stuff they can, and when I, when I mean the stuff they can prevent, there are going to be people who say, well, you can prevent everything by keeping everybody home forever. That's not a realistic solution. Okay, California will release at some point. New York will release at some point. And they will be doing exactly the same sorts of stuff that Kemp is doing. They'll just do it three weeks from now or a month from now or six weeks from now. And the only way you're going to be able to tell whether Kemp was right or wrong is after a year, what were the death rates in, in Georgia adjusting for population size, adjusting for demographics, adjusting for pre-existing health conditions versus California? People are going to try and judge this thing in real time. People are going to try and judge this thing as though there's a spike in cases in Georgia because people are out and about. Again, yes, because people are out and about. And that is expected. I'm assuming that Georgia knows this, that the rates are not going to be the same as they are if you lock everybody in their homes, obviously. Okay, in a second, we're going to get to why this is becoming so political. And it is becoming really political because politics always intrude when it comes to massive public policy decisions like all of this. We'll get it. We'll get to all of that in a moment, because as you will see, you know, when it comes to pushing priors, as I keep saying, we are now seeing a serious movement on the left to suggest that anybody who wants to reopen in measured, smart fashion, that anybody who actually wants to reopen based on the evidence wants lives to be lost, which is the, that's the first resort of people who are full of crap. Okay, if you ever hear somebody say, this political conversation, I can't even have this conversation. You just want people to die. That's all. You just want people to die. Yeah, go F yourself. Like, seriously, that's not a conversation. That's just you insulting me as a bad person, which means you don't want to have a conversation. It means that you're an irresponsible political adversary. Okay, and then... So that's, that, that is the tactic. The tactic is you want people to die if you disagree with people on the left who want full-scale lockdown, presumably for a very, very long time. And then the actual agenda item is complete remaking of American society. And we're starting to see that rolled out in serious fashion, right? That the crisis is an opportunity. Whether it's AOC suggesting that an oil drop is an opportunity to invest in green energy, which of course makes as much sense as a screen door on a submarine or an injector seat on a helicopter, or whether you are a person who is suggesting that we need to completely remake America's economic system because there was a pandemic and because this is exposed, all the evils of American society. These are the ulterior motives. It's why people are saying, I don't want you in control because I think that you actually have conflicting motives here. Not that you want the economy to die, not that you're a bad person, but you think that it's a double win. I keep people at home longer and fewer people die in the near term. And also, this gives me an opportunity to broaden the size and scope of government. Well, what if I want the economy to recover? Because I think that's actually a priority and a serious thing and people need to have jobs in the private sector. Okay, we'll get to more of this in just one second. First, being locked inside right now, it requires double the excitement. What could be more exciting than, wait for it, look at this, here's one leftist tears tumbler. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. A second leftist tears tumbler. They're propagating. This tumbler begat that tumbler. What is this sorcery? Well, right now, when you become a Daily Wire Insider Plus or All Access member, you get a second Leftist Tears Tumblr. I know, unbelievable. I'm not lying to you. I'm not kidding. Existing members, it's natural to feel a little jealous. Don't worry, we have a special offer coming up just for the people who are already members. Daily Wire members get many amazing benefits, including, of course, these magnificent, irreplaceable, singular. You also get an ad-free website experience, access to all of our live broadcasts and show library, the full three hours of the Ben Shapiro Show, access to the mailbag, and now exclusive election insight op-eds from me. Daily Wire members also get to ask us questions during backstage. You also get to participate in All Access Live. That is our brand new interactive programming featuring one of us, Daily Wire hosts, as we hang out with you each night, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. I did one last night and I showed off the guns. That's right, you missed the gun show. If you haven't already, download the Daily Wire app so you can get all of our great content on the go. Again, become an Insider Plus All Access member. 
Double your tiers with two leftist tiers tumblers or the tiers of your enemies. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to get started and get 10% off with coupon code Shapiro. That is dailywire.com slash subscribe. Coupon code Shapiro. Get the rarest of all beverage vessels times two. Dos. Well, a little bit of Spanish lingo for you there. Also, as a reminder, you can join us tomorrow for a special socially distanced edition of Daily Wire Backstage. I've been able to avoid Michael Knowles during this pandemic. That ends tomorrow night, and I am not looking forward to it. That will be tomorrow, Wednesday, the 21st, 4 p.m. Pacific time. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. So politics never stops, of course. And the politics of the of the current negotiations over another bailout package, those politics have not ceased either. Democrats keep insisting on loading up this bill with more and more and more stuff, including now they want bailouts for states and localities. Now, if a state or locality has incurred cost at the behest of the federal government, it makes sense that the federal government should backfill that. But if states and localities are just looking for a bailout for the fact that they've run their states like garbage for years, this seems like a stupid policy. And I don't know why California's mismanagement should be the fault of Texas. I don't know why New York's state deficit should be the fault of Texas. Right now, according to the uh, according to the Washington Post, I believe, a Republican and Democrat in the Senate are proposing a $500 billion fund for state and local governments as part of the next comprehensive rescue package from Congress. Apparently, they want $150 billion from municipal- municipalities' virus expenses, but the, the, the one that, that, that was the one in March. It provided for virus expenses, but it didn't address budget shortfalls. Uh, budget shortfalls? Like, I, I'm sorry, you're going to have to explain to me why Texas should have to assume the cost of money that California has already spent. Like California has been fiscally irresponsible for years and now they're going to go to the federal government and ask for a bailout. That, that is political. That is just as political as people asking for bailouts of companies that don't deserve a bailout, right? That weren't damaged by this, just ran their companies badly. Meanwhile, speaking, uh, meanwhile, speaking of, again, the partisan politics here, the New York Times is suggesting this thing became political because of the right wing, right? This is the line. The line is, that the, that the right wing has made this political Jeremy Peters reporting for the New York Times. He has a piece called How Abortion, Guns, and Church Closings Made Coronavirus a Culture War. He says, this is what it looks like when a pandemic collides with the culture wars in America. The mayor of Louisville, Kentucky, warned churches that holding services on Easter Sunday would defy the city's social distancing guidelines. Mitch McConnell answered with a stern letter arguing religious people should not be singled out for disfavored treatment. The Democratic governor in Michigan extended bans on certain outdoor activities to include using motorboats. Conservatives called her an authoritarian and caricatured her moves to slap at people who enjoy the outdoors. Even though firearms stores remain free to do business in most of the country, the NRA has a stark message for gun owners. They want your guns and they want them all. This is what Charlie Daniels said in a promotional video. The new patchwork of state and local policies designed to flatten the spread of coronavirus is inflaming old passions over some of the most contentious issues in politics. Well, maybe it's inflaming passions because the policies have been patchwork, inconsistent, and having nothing to do with public health. Christine Whitmer, in, in Gretchen Whitmer, rather, in, in Michigan, is telling people they cannot take a motorboat out on the lake, but they can take a, a boat that does not have a motor out on the lake, by the way, but you can get an abortion. So no buying seeds at the local Target, but definitely make sure you can have an abortion, an essential service to have an abortion. Is that maybe her not actually saying something about public health, but saying something about politics? When you have people suggesting that churches should be singled out as places for public gathering, not just general policies saying don't get together in big groups, and that includes everything from churches to social groups to movie theaters, right? That, that's a general policy. And by the way, I'm a religious person who goes to synagogue regularly, and I was advocating for the shutdown of synagogues before like anybody else, right? I, I specifically avoided Purim parties in my neighborhood because of all of this. 
And I've been pretty strong on this. There is a difference between that and singling out religious institutions. Could it be that maybe the reaction has been driven by the petty authoritarianism of people who seem to be reveling in their newfound authority? Could it be that a lot of people in the media have been pumping up a political vision of this in which President Trump is to blame for every ill, but every governor who takes an authoritarian action is somehow a hero? Could it be that when the media prop up Andrew Cuomo as somehow being America's governor at a time when he completely blew it in New York, by the way. Right? According to the New York Times, he blew it in New York. And he should have shut down a week and a half earlier, two weeks earlier. And then they propped him up as like a hero because he kept yelling about how the federal government needed to send ventilators. And as Rich Lowry has written at National Review, the federal government did send ventilators. And New York did not need 40,000 ventilators. And the federal government was trying to be flexible so other states would also have access to ventilators. And when, when all of that happened, the media portrayed it as though Trump was evil and Cuomo was good. Is it possible this thing was political and then the right is responding to the politicization and saying, well, it seems to me that I can't trust you to be honest about this sort of stuff. Is it possible this got political when you have a poll out today that that shows that 60% of Democrats say that Trump is more to blame for the current crisis than China is? According to a Rasmussen poll, they were 42% of U.S. voters agreed with Senator Chris Murphy's recent statement. The reason we're in the crisis is not because of anything China did, not because of the WHO. It's because of what President Trump did. 60% of Democrats agree with Murphy that Trump is more to blame than China and the WHO. Is it possible that we didn't start the politicization here on the right? Is that possible? Is it possible that when we look at people on the left who are eager and just jumping, champing at the bit, to remake the entire American system, to tear down the private healthcare system, to tear down free markets, to suggest massive redistribution and slavery reparations and all sorts of leftist goodies they wanted five minutes ago, but now they want on the back of a pandemic. Is it possible that we're saying to you guys, well, maybe you have an ulterior motive here? I'm seeing piece after piece released suggesting that America sucks, right? This is the, this is the new talking point is that America sucks and therefore we need vast change. Again, this is this is... What is driving a lot of the resistance? It's like, okay, well, if my choice is that I have to look at America being turned upside down and inside out and the, and the nature of America changed deeply because of the pandemic, if I wait three more weeks or six more weeks to go back to work so that the testing is slightly better, or I can go back to work now and urge my governor to go back to work now because the testing is already sufficient or I think the testing will be ramped up in the next two weeks and I want to get back to work and I don't want to rely on government benefits and I don't want to spend the next 60 days entrenching government largesse, then I'm evil, right? If, if, if that's the logic of the left, then I think this is a little bit political. And the media are so dishonest in all of this. There, there's honest good faith disagreement about what is the actual tipping point when you can actually go back to work, right? That's, a, that's an actual good faith argument that can be had based on data. We have the argument every day here, right? I've had conversations with nearly every health expert at the top of government about this. And there's no clear-cut answer. It is a sliding scale. There's no binary decision where you flick on and it's safe and you flick off and it's not safe. That's not the way any of this works. These are hard decisions. But the way the media are portraying this is that it's not a hard decision at all. The easy decision is stay at home. And also, by the way, we're going to change everything you love about America. And it's never going to come back. Right? We're, we're going to get to this in just one second. So let's take, for example, Don Lemon. Right? So Don Lemon over at CNN, objective journalist Don Lemon, very journalism-y, lots and lots of journalism Right? He says that the only people who want to reopen they only want to reopen because they want a haircut. This is the most dismissive garbage bullcrap I've heard in a long time. That the reason that people want to go back to work and have a job is because they want a haircut? No, Don, I'm pretty sure it's because there are people who are now going to food banks because they don't have food in their fridge. Don Lemon is over at the CNN studios with a job and with a salary. 
And Chris Cuomo is able to work from home even with coronavirus. How about all the people who don't have jobs today and who have had their dreams stripped away as their small businesses have been tanked by the economy and tanked by the, the, the force of the federal and state governments? Don Lemon sneering at people who want to go back to work. Maybe I think if you mischaracterize your opposition this badly, then maybe I don't trust you when it comes to broad scale public policy. Here's Don Lemon being a jerk. You're slapping the faces of the people who are the healthcare workers who put their lives on the line every day because you want a haircut. You want to go play golf. You're concerned about, of course, you're concerned about your business. Tell the president that. And you're out there with with um, with guns, with with weapons strapped to your chest saying, oh, you want to get you're, you're you're fighting against the people who are telling you to stay at home, trying to save your lives. You're upset with those people. In the meantime, there are people who are keeping your cities going, keeping your loved ones alive. And you want to get a haircut? Who the hell do you think you are? OK, the people who are protesting, by and large, are not people who just want a haircut. Like the minimization of the concerns on the other side of this coin are insane. That's insane. Okay, this is great depression levels of, econo of econo economic collapse. And he's saying, oh, well, you know, you, you just throw a mullet. The hell is he talking about? It, it's, it's just, it's wild. It's wild. And when you see, again, members of the, of the media who are, who are just, they cannot contain themselves at the amount of change they want to perform on the American system on the back of this thing, it makes people suspicious. It makes people deeply suspicious. And there's an article, two separate articles in the New York Times today. One called The Ideas That Won't Survive the Coronavirus by Viet Thanh Nguyen. COVID-19 is killing off the myth we are the greatest country on earth. Oh, here we go. So now it's all about how America sucks. Shocker, shocker. If anything good emerges out of this period, says this columnist, it might be an awakening to the pre-existing conditions of our body politic. We are not as healthy as we thought we were. The biological virus afflicting individuals is a social virus. Its symptoms, inequality, callousness, selfishness, a profit motive that undervalues human life and overvalues commodities were for too long masked by the hearty good cheer of American exceptionalism, the ruddiness of someone a few steps away from a heart attack. Profit motive? Oh, you mean, you know, the profit motive that's actually getting people to produce the masks and the ventilators and all of the medical equipment and the PPEs and that is keeping our hospitals open in flexible fashion in a way Italy was not able to and the NHS in Britain was not able to? Right, the, 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 the eagerness, the desire to completely remake the American economy on the back of a pandemic. Yeah, it makes me suspicious that you are fine with staying at home because, yes, you get to claim that you are saving more lives in the near term. And also you get to then perform all the changes you've always wanted to perform. This columnist says, even if America, as we know, it survives the coronavirus, it can hardly emerge unscathed. If the illusion of invincibility is shredded for any patient who survives in your fatal experience, what might die after COVID-19 is a myth. We are the best country on earth. A belief common even among the poor, the marginal, the precariat, who must believe in their own Americanness, if in nothing else. Now, America's bad, very, very bad, very bad. And that America has a history of settler colonization and capitalism that ruthlessly exploited natural resources and people, typically the poor, the migratory, the black and the brown. That history manifests itself today in our impulse to hoard, knowing we live in an economy of self-reliance and scarcity in our dependence on the cheap labor of women and racial minorities. Okay, and, and then you're telling me to stay home? The, the general response of Americans to this is going to be people like you are telling me to stay home? Go take a hike, son. Like, no, that is not, that is not something I'm willing to do. Take a hike. I mean, truly, just take a hike, buddy. It's, it's just unbelievable. It's unbel and this is not the only article like this. Right? That Charlie Warzel, the opinion writer at large for the New York Times, has a piece today called protesting for the freedom to catch the coronavirus. The Reopen America protests are the logical conclusion of a twisted liberty movement. Twisted, you see. He says, at a string of small Reopen America protests, 
across the country this week, maskless citizens proudly flouted social distancing guidelines while openly carrying semi-automatic rifles and waving American flags and signs with ironic swastikas. Okay, I love how he's nutpicking. He's not going after the majority of people there who were socially distancing and just holding signs like, I want to get back to work. He finds the craziest people in the crowd, which is the easiest game in American politics. But the idea is that this is just like the Tea Party, because the Tea Party was a bunch of nuts who wanted smaller government, and so are these people. They're nuts. What we need right now is bigger government. And anybody who rejects this doesn't care about human life. They don't care about human life. It's, it's really quite amazing. It really is quite amazing. You, you, you want to know why people are not paying attention to your recommendations on policy? Because we don't believe you that you are honest about what you think it will take to stop the pandemic and what it will take to get back working again. We think that you want to change the American economy and that you are more than happy to sit around until that happens. All right, time for a thing I like and then some things that I hate. So things that I like today. There is a, a new series uh, on, on Hulu via FX called Devs. It's great. Uh, it's, it's made by Alex Griswold, I believe his name is, um, who is the guy behind um, the guy behind Ex Machina. Alex Garland, thank you. Uh, Alex Garland. And, uh, and Alex Griswold works here. Anyway, uh, Alex Garland and, uh, and Devs is basically the premise is that they've designed a machine that is capable of of identifying down to the most microscopic portions of it, of any physical object, everything about that object, which means that you can then extrapolate out from that thing all of past and all of future. So the basic metaphor that's used in the series is that if you push a pencil and it rolls across the desk and you could measure the pencil, like really measure the movement of the pencil, you could see how much force is applied on it. You could fill in how hard it was pushed, who pushed it, what that person's body mass was. You could actually extrapolate the past and the future, how fast that's going to roll. And so the whole series is about determinism and free will. I think it's fascinating. I, I kind of love this series. Uh, the, the, here, here's a little bit of the preview. You know what happened to him. If you came for answers, ask me what you don't know. What is Devs? This is the only principle you need to understand. Nothing ever happens without a reason. Everything was determined by something prior. They're fanatics. We need the police. You want to take them down? It's impossible. Okay, it's you knew I was going. It's really quite good. Here. Nick Offerman turns in a very, very good performance. Uh, Allison Peel is super creepy. It's 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 a great series, and and uh, more of this on TV. Seriously, like this is really highly intelligent television. I kind of, I, I really, I kind of love it. It's pretty spectacular. Uh, so go check that out. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So as I say, there has been a complete push on the left for this idea that we need to completely remake the American system because this is pre, it's exposing all of the evils of American society, which is amazing because basically we now have an unfalsifiable thesis from the left. If things are going really well, that's a mask for all the bad things happening in American society. If things are going really poorly, then that is exposing all of the bad things that are happening in American society. So no matter how you slice it, Bad things are happening, and it requires complete remaking of the system. Elizabeth Warren, the senator, was pushing this nonsense. She, she was suggesting that the disparities in health outcomes for black and white women, it has to be because healthcare professionals are racist or something. And really, th this is what she is pushing. She's pushing the, the disparities in black maternity mortality statistics, right? which has been pushed by everybody from Stacey Abrams to The New York Times. Neglecting to mention the fact, by the way, that there are racial disparities in outcomes in Europe as well, which doesn't have the same history as the United States, obviously, and also neglects to mention that there are pre-existing conditions that run concomitant to, to race. It's not caused by race, but they are 
but there, there's crossover that largely explain black maternal mortality rates being higher, namely malnutrition uh, in, the, in the womb, uh, obesity of mothers, right? These are things that help explain the, the disparity in black, mor- black maternal mortality rate. Okay, with all of that said, Elizabeth Warren making the, the common and obvious error of mistaking all inequality for an underlying structural inequity. Now she's blaming healthcare professionals. This is just, at the same time, healthcare professionals are putting their lives on the line to save people, black, white, and green. She's out there suggesting that our healthcare system is staffed by people who are inherently racist. Do the healthcare professionals listen? Do they listen to black women? And why it is so important to raise this issue, because it's not like somebody deliberately says, oh, you know, I'm not going to pay attention. It's that it's happening. And if you don't raise awareness about it and get some accountability in the system, too many people say, well, I didn't have anything to do with that. That's not me. Okay, well, what if they didn't have anything to do with that and it wasn't them? I mean, like, it's, it, again, the, the the idea is that now you're going to attribute all of the inequalities in a system to current people doing bad things that they don't even know they are doing. So now we are ghost hunting, right? Now we, we, are, we are attributing motives to people that they don't have themselves, but deep in the recesses of their brain, they're still a little racist, and that is why you are getting these outcomes. I mean, strange that, that everything amounts to the same. It doesn't matter what, the, what happens in front of the equal sign. It doesn't matter what the equation is in front of the equal sign. X plus Y always equals overthrow American society and completely restructure it. It's, it's pretty incredible. It, it really is. Uh, and... And it is a lot of this is also based on, you know, political expedience. Uh, a lot of this is based on on the the easy belief that your political opponents are evil. They don't have different priorities from you. They're actually evil. So Rachel Maddow tried to trot this one out last night. She suggested that conservatives are operating from Earth too when they talk about people going back to work, or alternatively, they have a different assessment of the risks and benefits of staying out of work as an entire society, and that assessment is different from your own and. That is called an honest political disagreement. But according to her, it's Earth 2 and conservatives want people to die. And this is just it's just claptrap. Even in times this weird, conservative media is like Earth 2. <laughs> like all the rest of us are on Earth 1 and they are on a completely different planet in terms of what the news is and what it means to cover it. And the conservative media is as influential as they ever were, if not more so, when it comes to Republican elected officials and conservative voters in the Republican Party base. But the conservative media, the most influential parts of it, really are living in and describing and now promoting a completely different world than the one that all the rest of us live on. Okay, you know, the one that the one that you live on, Rachel Maddow, is the one where you are operating from a studio and getting your salary paid. That's the world that you are living on, right? The world that Chris Cuomo is living in. That's the world that, that everyone at CNN is living in. Now, all the members of the media do not live the same lives as the 30 million people who are now unemployed. They do not live the same lives as the small business owners who sunk their life savings into a restaurant to watch it disappear. They are not living in the same world as people who actually were living on the bubble and now need to go make a living. They're not living in the same world as you. This is why you end up with, with ridiculous comedian Patton Oswalt tweeting out over the weekend, just, you, you know, we say that you're, it's a sacrifice. You can always just sit home and just watch Netflix. No, Patton Oswalt can sit in his mansion and watch Netflix. There are a bunch of people who actually don't have a full fridge. That's the disconnect. And by the way, Democrats are just full of it. I mean, here, this, this is a brutal ad. So the RNC put out an ad about Nancy Pelosi. So I showed you a clip the other day of Nancy Pelosi standing in front of her very expensive fridge. And again, I'm all for very expensive fridges. 
But I'm also for people being able to work so that they can afford food in their fridge. Apparently, Nancy Pelosi is not for that. So she is holding up funding for small businesses. And she's standing in front of this fridge talking about how it's stocked with expensive gelato, chocolate ice cream. And the RNC cut this viciously brutal ad. It is perfectly honest, and it, it does demonstrate the disconnect. You want to talk about an Earth 2? This is an Earth 2. You don't want to eat up everything all at one time. I can't do it much longer. I'm trying so hard. We're, do we say, enjoying? Having to admit that, yeah, we're, we're starving. And, and I like it better than anything else. Taping this segment, there are 22 million people out This work. specific program is about <laughs> stopping job losses today. This is hurting people bad. Other people in our family go for some other flavors, but... Right now, it's survival move. You don't know where that next something else is going to come from. I don't know what I would have done if ice cream were not invented. I just wonder. <laughs> brutal ad. And then it says, uh, let them eat ice cream. It, it, it is a brutal ad. I mean, people are not eating. People are going to food banks. People are in line for food banks in Miami going blocks at a time. And we're pretending this is, you know, as Don Lemon says, just people who want to go out and get haircuts. Really? That, that, that's what's going on here? Speaking of people who are completely disconnected, Bill de Blasio continues to be a complete tool bag of stupidity. I mean, my goodness, Bill de Blasio, groundhog murderer. So Bill de Blasio today tweeted out, or his, his office tweeted out, that when this is all over, they want to hold a ticker tape parade for healthcare workers. Now, I'm, I'm all for rewarding healthcare workers, but a ticker tape parade sounds like a very, very bad idea. <laughs> At this time, what the hell are you talking about? That wasn't even his most delusional comment of the last 36 hours. My favorite, I, I did enjoy this. I did enjoy this, is Bill de Blasio, and New York officials have decided that it is worthwhile to release inmates from Rikers Island. Okay, Rikers is the jail facility and where people are being held before trial. And they decided we're not going to hold people, right? We're going to let criminals out. And then it turns out that some of those criminals, wait for it, wait for it, they are criminals. And they go and they perform crimes. So Bill de Blasio suggests that he is just shocked by this. He says, it, it, in fact, it is unconscionable that criminals are performing crimes. This may be the stupidest human being in the United States, and he lives within a several block radius of, a, of, of the only competitor, AOC. Here is Bill de Blasio just being a communist moron. My God, Bill de Blasio. There would be, you know, um, a rigorous monitoring uh, effort as well. And that has been uh, built up. Uh, we do see some recidivism. I don't have the exact numbers. We see some. I've not seen... Um, a huge amount, but any amount is obviously troubling. And um, I think it's unconscionable just on a human level that folks were shown mercy. And this is what some of them have done. But, you know, it's a small number of people. And, you know, it's troubling and it's unconscionable. Troubling, troubling and unconscionable. I mean, I just can't believe it. It's troubling. That's what happens when you release criminals from prison. What? Yes, Bill de Blasio. Earth 2. Bill de Blasio, because Bill de Blasio doesn't exist in the same world as the rest of you peons. Right? He's walking in the park with his wife. Bill de Blasio doesn't live in your world. Bill, uh, uh, the, the double standard that, that applies to people in positions of political and media power, it does allow them an enormous amount of, of wiggle room when it comes to declaring that everything is basically manageable as, as, current, as it currently stands. It is not manageable as it currently stands. And this is why you have to independently assess, and everybody should independently assess, what are the risk factors the risks and the rewards of the policies that we are paying attention to. And that is not an easy answer. Anybody who, who gives you an easy answer, oh, we, we should open up right now or we should close up right now, what the conditions are, nobody has an easy answer. Anyone who suggests an easy answer is lying to you. There is no easy answer. There is no answer that reduces the risk to zero. There is no answer that is going to, that is going to completely save the economy in the absence of underlying demand. So take everything with a grain of salt and 
I guess now we have to examine the motives of our public policymakers because they're making fairly obvious that, that many of them do have, in fact, ulterior motives and are disconnected from the worries of many people in American society. And that's what's driving a lot of the political unrest. You want to know how this became political? Because for a lot of people, it never stopped being political. All righty, we'll be back here a little bit later today with two additional hours of content. Otherwise, we'll see you here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Andrew Clavin Show, The Michael Moles Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. Thanks for listening. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, directed by Mike Joyner, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling, assistant director Pavel Wydowski, technical producer Austin Stevens, playback and media operated by Nick Sheehan, associate producer Katie Swinnerton, edited by Adam Saievitz, Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Clavin, host of The Andrew Clavin Show. The Chinese virus is infecting the wound of the American culture war and making us all hate each other. And when it comes to making us hate each other, the media is always there on the job trying to make things worse. We'll talk about it all on The Andrew Clavin Show. I'm Andrew Clavin. 'll we'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost a $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.